What I want to explain is that I am Dr. John Payne. I'm the president of Medical Ambassadors International. Uh, we are the organization that uh, has broken its IT on doing community health evangelism around the world. What I want to do is to say that there are, there's a couple of different approaches that a person can take to explaining community health evangelism. One approach is to try and start with foundational principles and then build up until you see if you understand the concept and then we try to illustrate it. I'm finding more and more that as I work in oral cultures around the world that it is much better to start by telling the story and then extracting the principles out of the story. So we're going to start with telling the story. Is that better? Yes. Can you still hear me okay? Let me see if we can start back at the beginning and put some dates on things so you understand what we're talking about. This story began in 1991, 20 years ago. At that time, Gordon and Yarna Clausen were missionaries promoting community health evangelism in an area of the Democratic Republic of Congo called uh, around the city of Mbujimai. They were approached by village leaders from one of the villages outside Mbujimai saying, we would like you as a mission to come and help us but we don't want you to help us the way that we see missionaries generally doing the help. We would rather have you teach us how we can do something for ourselves rather than have you come and do something for us. Gordon said, I'll be willing to do that for you on two conditions. The first condition is you have to be willing to select your own community leaders to be in charge of what happens. You have to pick what's to be done, who's to be trained, when it's to be done, and where it's to be done, and what resources are going to be used to do it. The second condition is that you have to allow discipleship and evangelism training to go on house to house along with the people who are talking about the development projects of your choice. That works in Congo because Congo is what we would call an open country. If it had been in a creative access country, we would have had to use a little different approach to moral value lessons rather than talking about discipleship and evangelism. But in Congo, this first village said, we're willing to do that. So when the village leaders were chosen, they chose to do things that had to do with simple improvements in sanitation, hand washing, pit latrines, water purification using very simple sand filters, and some things that improved agriculture in the community. With that combination of things and some cleanup of trash in the area, when other villagers from surrounding villages just walked through the village, they said, wait a minute, what's going on here? There is something different about your village. I see no flies on the kids' faces and all the kids look a little fatter than the kids in our village. What is going on here? And they said, it's called community health evangelism. 
And they said, well, is it complicated? They explained what they were doing. And the people said, that sounds easy enough. Could you teach us how to do it? And they said, well, we could only do that for you on two conditions. They accepted those conditions. And between 1991 and 1997, the number of villages that were doing community health evangelism went from one village to 56 different villages. We were very excited and we couldn't understand what God was doing when civil war forced Gordon and Yarna Clausen out along with all the other missionaries in the whole country. I have to tell you, one thing the video doesn't tell you is that we continued to try and slip in small amounts of money into country to pay the full-time Che trainers that were working in that area. We didn't know whether the money was really getting to them or whether we were funding the revolution indirectly. But when peace was declared in 2001, we went back in to see what was going on. And of the 56 villages that had been doing community health evangelism, 113 were still active. So we thought to ourselves, this is success. And one of our major donors says, this is 130, 113 places that are doing a program, but you've done nothing to show that it has really transformed anybody, either physically or spiritually. And if you go measure it for yourself, you are not going to be credible. Therefore, you need to have outside experts, somebody from the health field and somebody who's a missiologist from seminary go and do a physical and a spiritual assessment of these places that are doing community health evangelism to see if you can really say there has been transformation taking place. And I'll pay for it. Well, at that point, exactly how was I supposed to say no? I wasn't the person there at the time, but I'll tell you, the mission president said, we're on. So they took Dr. James Engel, who's famous for the Engel scale, done a lot of seminary kind of training here in the United States in missions. He led a team to do a spiritual evaluation. And Dr. Terry Andrews, who at that time was a pediatrician working with World Vision in Nairobi, went to do the physical assessment. Well, the first bad news came to us when Dr. Andrews started doing her evaluation. She said, you're asking me how much change has taken place because of community health evangelism and many of the villages that I see here don't have good baseline data to know where they started. There is only one thing you can do under these circumstances and I'm not real happy with it, but we could give it a try. It's called a cohort study where we randomly pick 30 of the villages that are doing community health evangelism and then look around for 30 other randomly chosen villages that are not doing it. And we'll just look to see if there's a difference in the health of the people in those places. So she went to the government health statistics and found out that infant mortality in the places doing community health evangelism was one-half what it was 
actually a little less than one half of what it was in the places that were not. And she said, that would be very reassuring if this were not Congo. Because in Congo, health statistics are held in very light respect. Nobody really trusts anything the Congolese government produces. So we need to do something else to try and verify this. So she followed up on a study that I've seen in the British Journal of Medicine where they went and measured how big around the circumference for the mid-upper arm was in every child in all of those 60 villages, the 30 doing che and the 30 not doing che, to see how common malnutrition was in those places. That's because the British Journal of Medicine found that if a child had less than 13 centimeters or more than 13 centimeters circumference, they had less than a 50% chance of malnutrition. But if it was less than 12 centimeters, it was over 98% chance of malnutrition. So as she measured all the children in all 60 villages, they found that malnutrition in the places doing community health evangelism was one half what it was in the places that were not. She said, based on those two things together, I think it is probable that there has been a physical change that has taken place. I met her when I lived in Nairobi, and she said, it was obvious there was a huge difference between the places. You could just walk through the villages and they were dramatically different, but I had to find some way to put a number on it. Well, we felt good about that. Then Dr. Engel said, my situation is a little better because I know that before you came, missions had been working in this area for 20 years and they had planted two churches, one Mennonite, one Presbyterian. You've been here for 10 more years and as I have counted the churches that are in this district now, there are 48 evangelical churches. So she said, he said, that might be a good sign, but everybody knows that you can join a church like you join a country club, and it doesn't necessarily make a difference in who you are. So what I'd like to do is to survey the people in these 60 communities, the 30 doing Che and the 30 not doing Che, and see, of the people who can read... How many of them are reading their Bible on a daily basis? And of those who can read their Bible, how many are involved in small group Bible studies? And of those who claim to be Christians, how many are praying on a daily basis? And how many are talking to their neighbors about the difference that Jesus Christ makes in their life? talking about what being a Christian means and changes for them. And finally, what percentage of your income are you giving to your local church? Now, I could give you the numbers, but if you don't know how to compare the numbers with something else, it's not so effective. So let me just say that Dr. Engel finished by saying that he had been studying mission spiritual effectiveness around the world in hundreds of locations for 30 years and that this was the most effective spiritual impact that he had seen in any of the places that he had been.
Now, we should probably ask some point along the line why it was that that was true in Congo. At that point, we had a decision to make as a mission. These are people that seem to be doing what you'd call spiritually prospering and physically prospering when they hadn't had missionaries for four years. Was this our priority to send missionaries back to this place or should we continue to rely on the nationals who are doing such a good job? And we decided to rely on the nationals and assign the missionaries elsewhere. At the beginning of this year, I got a report from that same district. Do you want to guess how many villages are doing community health evangelism in that area now? 504. Now, is this free? No. We, we do give some support to what goes on. We have not cut them completely loose. On average, those 504 projects get a total of 40,000 U.S. dollars per year. And that's spread out among about 100 trainers in the area. Um, does anybody know how much it costs to send one missionary family? Well, it is, it is something which I think is a... It's, it does not mean we don't need missionary families, but it means that this seems to be a reasonably good investment. Now, I want to tell you another story because what I've just told you represents the sin of mission presidents. We always tell you our best story and try to make you believe that is what happens everywhere we work. And it doesn't work that easily everywhere. Let me tell you another story. This is one that involved Kenyan national missionaries that were working in Kenya, in the northeastern part of Kenya that is close to Somalia. It is a place that had had such severe drought for six consecutive years that the United Nations had been bringing monthly shipments of rice to feed the people and stave off starvation. Six consecutive years of famine relief. When the Che family arrived, they thought, I wonder how we'll get the village leaders to say they would like us to do own, own the project and have discipleship and evangelism when these community leaders are all Muslim. So we said... Maybe that isn't the best way to do community health evangelism here. We'll do something we call family-based CHE, or community health evangelism, where a family will go in and demonstrate some of the kinds of things that it's possible to do to improve the lives of their neighbors. And they said, what can we do? And as they thought about it, they said, perhaps what we could do is we could try to use the gray water from our washing dishes and washing clothes to drip on a small plot of ground outside our hut and see if we could grow a vegetable garden. So they tried that. And they worked very hard at it. Enter God. No one expected it, but they got a little rain in the process of this. Result was, they grew one beautiful vegetable garden outside their hut. And the next thing you know, their neighbors were there. Hody, 
they said, Hi. The people from the village said, We've noticed your vegetable garden. The Che workers said, Would you like us to show show you how we did it? And they said, Well, that actually isn't what we're thinking of right now. The United Nations is going to be here tomorrow to inspect our village. And we're afraid that one good look at your vegetable garden will make them misinterpret our situation. So if you would really like to be a friend to us at this time, what you need to do is to see if you can find some way to make your vegetable garden disappear before tomorrow. So the Che people talked together and they said, maybe the best thing we can do is to cooperate. So they harvested what they could, plowed under the rest of the garden, and the United Nations came the next day. They saw how bad things were in the village, and they continued the rice shipments to that part of the country. Community health evangelism has caught on in some of the other areas around that place, but in that particular place, we're hopeful that they will catch Che secondhand from another neighborhood because they didn't catch it for themselves. So I want to ask you a question. Why do you think the first group of villages in Congo did so well and the group in Kenya did poorly? Any ideas? That's a real key point. One of the big things that makes community health evangelism more likely to succeed is less past experience from the groups that are involved. So if they've had a lot of experience either with government aid or with missionary aid, they are less likely to respond quickly. It's not that they don't respond. It's just going to be a slower process. So that's a good point. Anything else people noticed? How about the church? There was some church to start with and it was easier to be open about the gospel in Congo. That's always going to make things grow more easily. If you look at various missions that work in fields around the world, you'll often find them saying they have their largest churches in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So Congo is is a fertile field if you're just counting numbers of people in churches. So that skews the statistics again. Any other ideas? The people in the first communities were empowered to make change, to make their own decisions. The people in the second community were dependent upon the UN and thus not as empowered. Let me repeat that for the sake of the microphone. She said the people in Congo were empowered to make change, whereas the people in Kenya were dependent because other people had been doing it for them. I think another way of saying that would be that they had local champions in Congo. A local champion would be a person who says, I am tired of things being the way they are. 
And I believe that we, we with the help of God, can do something better for this place. And having a person like that available is a hugely important factor, especially if you're going in a place that does not have other successful community health evangelism programs in the area that they have seen with their own eyes. Seeing is believing. Believing when you haven't seen is something that Jesus even commended people who would hear about Thomas's story. Good. Any other thoughts? Now let me tell you about other things that I think can impede community health evangelism. One of them is having a poor balance between things that are related to faith in God and development. We have seen programs where they really want, were excited about the evangelism and they tended to reach out very effectively to people who were almost Christians to start with. But the people who weren't interested continued to not be interested And the development projects in those places were pretty puny. And they didn't multiply. So it was sort of a little bit of a disappointment, even though they had vibrant faith. And there's one place I can think of in western Kenya where they had a village chief who I would describe as a Bill Gates-type entrepreneur. He was really into developing his village. But when you talked about spiritual things, his eyes would glaze over. And the trainers, I don't think, paid enough attention to that glazing of the eyes. So by the time I arrived, they had protected 13 different springs in the area around this village, all coming through charcoal filters so the water coming out of the ground wasn't perfect by my standards, but it was a lot better than it had been. He had a goat project, a chicken project, fish ponds, uh, beekeeping, brick making. This place was a development dream. And all the other cities around that little village looked at that village and said, that village is one strange, selfish place because they won't tell us how to do it. And when we go to them and ask for help, they say, we'll be happy to help you if you'll pay us to come. That is a case of where one village has been present for 12 years and there is one project that has grown out of that village, that village itself. So if we don't have a balance between physical and spiritual kinds of things, Community health evangelism is not going to work as well as we would like. Now, let me tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to pass out a handout at this point that is going to summarize the case study we talked about on the first page. On the second page, it is going to have a very simple definition of community health evangelism. Um, In my office... The secretary said, when you're here, it is easy for us to hit the transfer button and let you explain to them what community health evangelism is. But what we are finding is that when people call when you're not in the office, 
we say, oh, it's too complicated for us to say. Can you give us a simple one-page explanation of what community health evangelism is? If we don't have enough of these to go all the way around, it's a sign of my lack of faith. Um, but So that, that's the second page. The third page is a page which we would call Community Health Evangelism Core Values. It's the list of the things which we recognize the way a community health evangelism program is going to look in one place is going to be different than it's going to look in another because um, they will do different things. But there are certain kinds of values that need to be consistent from one place to another. The fourth page is a fascinating page. That is one that has that has was just sent to me about two weeks ago by one of our staff people working in India. He had been to a development seminar that was put on by a secular group where the speaker was Daniel Taylor. Daniel Taylor's father was Carl Taylor, who for many years has been the, the chairman of the International Health Department of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Public Health. He is a big figure in public health. He died about a year ago. Um, his son, Daniel Taylor, spent the first 20 years of his career after getting his PhD in development working in the foothills of the Himalayas trying to figure out what kinds of things tend to make development prosper in different places around the world. And because Carl Taylor and Daniel Taylor were so well known, they were chosen by the United Nations to do a, about a four-year study of how can we go about changing the cultures and the, the conditions of poverty around the world. That fourth page of the handout is a list of what they felt needed to be the characteristics of things from a secular viewpoint as of 2011. Actually, some of it's based on his book that was that's just coming on press right now, but part of it on a book that he published earlier that is Just and Lasting Change. Some of you may have seen that book. But it is a, an, an excellent summary of how the person who is the great thinker in medicine and development nowadays says this is what will make development have a better chance. Community health evangelism was being developed in the 1980s by people who do not have nearly the smarts or the resources that were available to the tailors. And they, in many cases, in my opinion, um, preempted or discovered his principles ahead of time. How can that happen? In my mind, it's because the Holy Spirit has a way of interfering with good natural process. That there's a lot of programs, and I think if we looked at the last reason why the program in Congo succeeded so well, it was because they had leaders who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without that special input from the Holy Spirit, I think you'll find that almost any development program that you're involved with will have at best 
good results. The kinds of results we had there where you're reducing infant mortality by 50% seem to be the kinds of things that exceed what we expect. And if that happens, we have to be careful if we say it is community health evangelism that did that and it, instead of it actually being God's work. Now, did anybody not get a handout or were there enough to go all the way around? Good. Um, let me stop at this point and bring my wife, Medell, up here so that the two of us can try to answer any questions you have that may be helpful. And when our time runs out, we'll be happy to stay here and continue answering questions for a while after that. Okay? Questions? So the 30 villages that didn't adopt change Uh-huh. The question was, if why was it the 30 villages that hadn't done CHE had not been chosen to be among the 113 that were doing it? As far as I can tell, there is a selection bias in this study. And that is, the places that wanted to do CHE are, were doing CHE because they chose themselves. They said, we want it, please come teach us. The places that didn't come and ask for help were left to their own designs. Okay, so the local, or the nationals or the trainers that have been selected by the village or whomever, or the church, and Che goes in and trains them? Who, who trains the locals to be the trainers or the people? That's a very good question. She said, uh, who trains the original locals to be trainers? Remember we mentioned that Gordon and Yarna Clausen were missionaries in that place. They had originally been trained by Stan Rowland, who had designed the community health evangelism process while he was working for the Agape um, Campus Crusade International Missions Program. At the time when Campus Crusade chose to focus more on contact evangelism on campuses, he decided to move from there to medical ambassadors that was making a decision to move from doing clinics and hospitals to focusing on preventive health through community health evangelism. That program was one where he had begun to design how it worked. Gordon and Yarna taught the program initially to a small group of trainers in the Mbujimai area. And those people then had a training program for other trainers in the area. And since that time, there have been many following training of trainers to train more people how to be trainers in multiple places. If you have a program going on in 500 different villages, you'll wind up having a lot of volunteer trainers and they'll be supported by people who do it more full-time on a paid basis. Let me just say a PS here. We've got some literature on tables going out here. Oh, talk here. Yes. <laughs> um, this little one will tell you a little more about the specifics of the strategy. There's a, a training for trainers who go to the community and ask the community to form their committee. Okay. They're the ones that own it. The trainers will go from community to community, but they are nationals. And, and the nationals are people who work on sacrificial pay scales. In many cases, their pay is really just about enough to cover their transportation expenses to go from village to village. But the key people at the very top 
some of them earn the highest paid person makes $450 a month, and he, that comes from us. And so you operate off donations then? We operate off donations. And it's one, one of our quandaries as a mission is what constitute dependence? Do you create dependence by having your own workers who are paid from the United States? Wouldn't it be better for them to raise support in the place where they are and have it paid for by local churches? There are some places nowadays in Ethiopia where we are actually finding local churches who are completely paying for their programs. But there are many places in the world where it is, it is difficult to get 100% support from local churches. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be impossible, but it's slower in some places than it is in others. His words, not mine. Yeah. But I, I missed the, the motivation. I mean, did they give him the seeds to plant the garden? or I mean, did he have a spiritual... I mean, you know what I'm saying? He didn't explain. All of a sudden he said, so I decided to plant the garden, then we had lots of food, and my children were chubby. She's going to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Someone... Um, the, the committee decided, let's work on agriculture. Okay. And they chose people within the village who said, I'll be willing to be taught about that and about Jesus as well. And then I will go and teach four neighbors what I've learned week by week over this long period of week by week training. So that teacher had some neighbor who had learned about agriculture and learned about sanitation and those things they wanted to learn about come and talk to him in his home. So it's neighbor to neighbor, very grassroots. And as people start meeting the Lord and their lives start changing, it's powerful because it's their neighbors they're watching. It's not some foreigner who's coming but, in and telling them. But the seeds, I mean, the garden... We did, we did not provide the seeds. The committee basically says, we believe there are seeds available. We can pull the resources together to buy our own seeds. In general, Che um, tries as much as possible to draw on resources the committee identifies from within the location rather than drawing in outside resources. Could you describe the family-based Che and compare and contrast it to other modalities? There are a number of ways that community health evangelism can work. In a community base, the community, a village that knows knows the people, selects known leaders to be the people who are going to be in charge of the community health evangelism program. And that committee then chooses the people who will be the home visitors and who will be trained by the trainers. In a um, church-based or church-initiated model, the trainers will come out of a church and and the committee will come from within the church and reach out to the needs of the community around. And if the community around decides that it really wants to have ownership rather than leave the ownership in the church... The community adds members to the committee, and the committee becomes something bigger than the church itself. In a place that is um, not amenable to open Christianity, it is often better to send a family in to live in the community, and they are trained before they go into the community how community health evangelism works. Many of them, the discipleship and evangelism techniques as well as development options. 
They then go to the community, analyze what is available to them, and choose projects that they can work on to begin to try and attract the interest of their neighbors. And they want to do this not just so their neighbors will begin talking to them about the development project, but so they will also begin talking about who Jesus Christ is. And when I first started doing this, I thought the development was a hook that caught people so that they would get they'd find out who Jesus was unintentionally. But now I'm beginning to recognize the way Jesus worked was that he often thought whether a person was well or sick was important, just like their salvation was important. So I'm finding that it's really okay for, a commun- for us to desire good physical things for a community or for a church group, just like it's good for us to desire good health or good spiritual relationship with God. So what community health evangelism has chosen to do is to say we're going to define health as a positive relationship between you and God, between you and yourself, between you and your neighbor, and between you and your environment. Maybe I need to talk to you in private about this, but uh, I don't know if you have experience out in uh, Congo with uh, some of the other programs that are doing similar work like the Sanu Project and so on. We've worked there for a number of years, but mm-hmm. I had to leave what everyone else did and have to move back. This is very interesting, uh, what's been going on in the last 20 years. But uh, I know there are many efforts being carried on to try to do the same thing in the various health zones. I'm just wondering how you cooperate with them. And, uh, do you have any relationship at all with the government? Um. I probably should talk more one-to-one on that, but I will say that Medical Ambassadors does have a goal of not just trying to support the things that we're doing, but to as much as possible act as consultants for other groups that are working in the same areas. And we pull together councils in areas and regions for people who are doing community health evangelism to talk to each other so that the missions that are doing it other places who have things to teach us can teach us and the other way around too. I know that many of you are probably medical people who are either medical students, interested in medical missions. When medical ambassadors first was faced with a decision, we saw how effective community health evangelism was, and we had two choices. We were doing clinics and hospitals, and we could have gone and said, we're going to add about 1% to the cost of each of the places we're going and try to begin a community health evangelism program in conjunction with the curative health program that is already there. But as we looked around the world, we saw thousands of clinics that were being operated by many missions where they were doing only the curative approach. They had dreams of doing something preventative, but when the curative need is overwhelming, it is very difficult to really focus the time outside of the curative area. So we said maybe the best way for us to balance what is happening in the kingdom of God as a whole is for us to focus exclusively on the community health evangelism part. So it is certainly possible that anyone in this room might choose to say, I'm going to use my medicine as a credential 
That's what I did. And I'm going to go to focus exclusively on the preventive aspects and the evangelistic aspects that will make what everyone else is doing more effective. Or I can go and I will choose to go to a place which has a good curative program and needs my specific medical expertise, but I'm going to push them or choose them based on their willingness to have a focus on community health and evangelism in addition to the other things they're doing. We, we usually cannot propose that, that option to people until after we have developed a relationship. Originally, we used to say it would take 9 to 12 months of relating to a community before you could even begin to pose the question of whether they would like to do this or not. Congo was a unique situation where they came to us and asked for it. But uh, what we are finding is that in many places around the world, you have to be much more relational and people have to have a basis of trust for you before they're willing to say, yes, we'll let you to talk about your faith and train us to talk about your faith along with evangelism, I mean along with the development topics. The key things in my mind that make this program work are number one, that the community owns what is happening. And number two, that we recognize that the Holy Spirit is very much involved in what is happening and if we are models that reflect God's love, people will see it and they'll not feel coerced. They will feel attracted. I think we have run over our time at this point, but I'd still be willing to stay here and field some more questions. Thank you so much. You'll notice that on the bottom of one of the sheets that I've put some contact information, I really am open to being contacted.